Happy Easter to you. Uh, I see that we've got some family here in the house, a special welcome to our family and friends. And so we're so glad you're here. I want to welcome you to Alliance Christian Fellowship. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF. And uh, on behalf of our church family to you, man, we want to say welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Our hope for today is that you would walk away from today's service um, encouraged, maybe a little bit more than when you first walked in, uplifted, uh, having been edified and, and filled with hope and joy and peace. I don't know. Here's the, here's the thing, folks. I, I don't know many of you um, real intimately. I don't know what, what, what you're struggling with, what you're going through. And so I don't know what kind of stuff you brought into Alumni Hall this morning, but I believe that Jesus is sufficient to carry whatever you brought in today. And so our hope is that you would meet Jesus. Our hope is that even before walking away saying, we sang some really energetic, upbeat songs, and we heard a message about the resurrection, we, we just want you to meet Jesus. Okay, and, and so that's, that's how I've been praying into this, into this weekend, and uh, we'd love for you to come in with that mentality and that open heart here today. And so um, glad you're here, glad you're here. You know, there are a few moments uh, that come along a person's life, and maybe you can even recall some moments like these, where when that moment comes, it, it changes the trajectory of their lives altogether. These moments, when they come, they, they have a way of shaping that person's life from that point forward. It, it, it transforms their life, and their life is largely no longer the same again. Now, we call these moments Defining Moments, and that's the title of my message here today, Defining Moments. And so if you're taking notes down, you could jot that down as the header, Defining Moments. Now, I want to share with you a few defining moments from my own personal journey, from my own life, before we move any further. Um, on March 18th, uh, 2006, um, I, I encountered a significantly defining moment in my life as I stood in a small white church in Armonk, New York, in Westchester County, New York, and I shared my vows and my commitments uh, before my lovely bride uh, to love her, to cherish her, to honor her, and fully devote my days to, to loving and caring for her all the days of my life. That was a defining moment in my life. I don't know if we have a, a, a picture there. Are we having some issues with the, with the slides? Okay. I had a really nice wedding photo to, to all you guys with, but that's all right. Uh, just, just picture it. Just picture it. Nicole and I walking down the aisle, enjoying the moment. That was a defining moment for me. Listen, I, I, I walked into the church building as a single man. I left as a married man. My life was, my life was no longer the same. I, I would soon come to find out my life would change drastically. For the better, of course. My wife is in the house. For the better. My life changed for the better. That was a defining moment for me. Another defining moment in my life came on July 31st, 2009, when I would say hello to my firstborn son, Jake. Jake was born... Um, Again, in, in Westchester County, New York, and we were, uh, we were in the hospital, and, and, and he entered the world. And as soon as that moment came, I knew my life would no longer be the same. Prior to that moment, I was not a father. I was not responsible for any living thing besides myself. And even that, I didn't do a terribly great job at. I, it was hard work. And so here I stood before this little child, holding this little life in my hand, realizing my life will no longer be the same. That was a defining moment for me. Then again, on December 3rd, 2011, my life changed yet again. 
as we went from a family of three to a family of four, and uh, Luke was born into this world. Some of you know my kids, and uh, they've changed your life. You know, they, they've, you know, spent your energy to, to the very bottom, bottom uh, of your tank. And so uh, my life has no longer been the same. These are defining moments. Now, I, what I would love to do, but we're not going to do for the sake of time, I would love to spend a moment and, and, and hear some of your defining moments. It's fascinating to hear stories of people's lives, of, of moments that have come along their journey that have shaped the trajectory of their lives, that it's changed and shaped their lives altogether. But the fact of the matter is, folks, we're not here to talk about my defining moments. We're not even here to talk about your defining moments because the fact of the matter is this. My defining moments have no bearing on your life. My defining moments have no significant impact on your life, nor does your defining moment have a significant bearing or any significant impact on anyone else's life in this room. But church, I want to tell you, there is one whose defining moments has the potential to impact your life and my life for eternity. And that's the life I want to talk about today. That's the life of Jesus. I want to talk about some key defining moments in the life of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be looking here today. And um, it's first uh, book of the New Testament and uh, of the Gospels, the last chapter of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have some folks coming around and they can hook you up with a Bible here. And uh, if you don't own a personal copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. You can take this home with you. Uh, you don't need to pay for or anything like that, this is our gift to you, and consider it yours. But if you are following along with us in these Bibles, we are on page 835. 835 is where we are in these Bibles. And in this section of Scripture, what we find is an undeniably defining moment of Jesus. It's because of this defining moment that we, along with thousands and hundreds of thousands of other churches all across the world, are gathered together on this day because of this very moment. And it's the defining moment of the resurrection of Christ. And this is Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 28, we're going to pick it up from verse 1 and carry through to verse 10. And uh, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. It doesn't matter what version of the Bible you have, as long as you have a Bible and you're reading it. That's all we care about. And so, uh, but just, just for clarity's sake, uh, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. Matthew 28, starting from verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. In other words, I, I know that you're here because you saw Jesus killed, crucified, brutalized, and murdered just a few days ago. But here it is in verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen. Can someone say amen this morning? He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And see, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, 
Jesus met them, and he says, greetings. Now, <laughs> I love this. I mean, you just got to, uh, greetings? Jesus just rose from the dead, conquered sin and death once and for all, defeated the devil and the powers and the dominions of evil, and he shows up to these women, and he's like, hey I mean, it's like, greetings? Is that real? I mean, like, listen, if I did all of that, I accomplished all of that, I'd say, hey, guys, did you see what I did? Wasn't that amazing? I conquered death. I conquered sin, and I did all of that. Someone holla at your boy right now. Give me some props. Greetings, he says. Greetings. Even in his resurrection, we see the humble king. Greetings. And I love how the women respond in this moment. Listen to what it says. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. I wonder if Jesus walked into Alumni Hall, what would our response be? I love that this was the response of these women because, listen, church, when you realize who is standing before you, your only response is to bow before him. When you realize who is standing before you, that before you is the king of kings who has defeated sin and death for you, your only response, your only response is to bow before him. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, church, in order to understand the significance of what we're reading here today in Matthew 28, that is the resurrection of Jesus, we need to go back to the beginning. It's not enough to just kind of jump in at the tail end of the story and try to get what's going on here. Uh, We need to go back to the very beginning. In fact, if I may, I would suggest that there are three distinct defining moments of Jesus' life that are absolutely critical for you and I to understand, for you and I to wrap our heads around. And today, we're going to try our best to do that in the limited time that we have, to try to wrap our heads around these three distinct defining moments of our Christ's life. And those are the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Three defining moments of Jesus' life. Again, we're not here to talk about your defining moments or my defining moments. We're here to talk about the defining moments of Jesus' life. And that is the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, if you're new to the Christian faith, if you're here because a friend invited you out and this is Easter Sunday so you go to church, if you're new to the Christian faith, let me, let me uh, uh, say this. If you want to know what the Christian faith is all about, It ain't about following a set of rules, a set of doctrines, uh, uh, abiding by these regulations. It's not about good behavior. It's not about being a good Christian person, whatever that means to you. It's not about living a moral life. The Christian faith is not about any of those things. The Christian faith actually all hinges on these three events. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what the Christian faith is all about. By the way, before I go on, isn't it interesting that the defining moments of Jesus' life aren't actually things that happened during his life? You know, for a lot of us, when we think about our defining moments, we think about things that happened during our lives, right? But for Jesus, it's the bookends of his life, the day he was born and the day he died. 
the day he was born and the day he died. Now, he does a lot of important and significant things in the middle of his life. I'm not certainly trying to discount the ministry of Jesus while here on earth, but when it comes to the defining moments that have bearing on your life and my life, it actually comes at the bookends, the day he was born and the day he died, and as we'll see in just a few moments, the day he rose from the dead. Now, listen, this is important that we understand this before we move on. Listen carefully. The reason why... The reason why these events were so important, the reason why these were defining moments wasn't because it just happened. It's because of what these moments represented when they happened. It's, in other words, it's because of what God was doing through these events that made these events defining moments. To put it differently, God's activity defined these moments. The reason why these moments were defining moments was because God was active in these moments. God's activity is what defined these moments for Jesus. And as we'll see, defines for us. You see, God was up to something in all three of these events. He was doing something of great significance. Total sidebar. I know I'm going off side trails here, rabbit trails here, but just work with me. It's Easter Sunday morning. Give me some grace, all right? Give your brother some grace. Let Let me take you here for just a minute. Whenever you see God move... In your life, it is always significant. No matter how big or small you might seem like it is, whenever God moves, whenever God moves, it is significant. Never minimize a move of God in your life just because you think, eh, it's no big deal. No, no, listen. Whenever God moves in your life, whenever he works in your life, it is always a big deal. It's always a big deal. And so we see these things happen. These are defining moments for Jesus' life because of what God was up to. And so the question is, what was God up to? What was God doing in all of these events? What was his activity? Well, let's first look at his birth. What was God up to in the birth of Jesus? In the birth of Jesus, I would argue, and one might argue, that what God was doing was God was redeeming. God was redeeming. Another word for redeeming would be rescuing. God was redeeming his people. He was rescuing his people. You see a lot of people uh, around the Christmas time, around the Christmas season, you know, we, we remember the baby in the manger, right? The Christ child, we worship the Christ child. And that's a great, Christmas is by far one of the most favorite, my favorite times of the year. I love Christmas. And we, we gather together in churches during Christmas time and, and we think about the cute little baby in a manger. But friends, you gotta understand that baby was sent on a very specific rescue mission he didn't dawn us with his beauty and his cuteness so that the world can go all before the baby he was sent on a very specific rescue mission he was sent to free people to liberate people to restore people to rescue people to redeem people that's why jesus was born in fact we see very early on in the gospel of luke jesus is teaching in the temple courts and in the middle of his teaching right in the middle of his teaching He gets up and he makes this bold proclamation of why he came to earth in the first place. He begins to roll out his mission statement. In Luke 4, verse 18, he says these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. In other words, he has sent me. God has sent me for this purpose, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission to liberate and free his people. Now, the Jewish people during that time misinterpreted his mission. 
The Jewish people during that time misunderstood the mission of Jesus because they were interpreting it through their contextual lens. You see, the nation of Israel, for those of you um, maybe new to the Bible, l- l- let me just give you the clips notes for this. The, all throughout the Old Testament, even bleeding into the New, the, old, the, the, the nation of Israel had a really tough journey. To, to, to put it lightly, they had a really tough journey. They were constantly being conquered by other nations and other kings were devouring the Israelites and conquering their, na- the, their land and their, and their people and all these things. They were never really able to stand on their own two feet. Even in this particular moment in history, when Jesus enters the picture, the Israelites and the nation of Israel, is at, they're actually under Roman rule. And so naturally, when they hear that a Messiah was coming to redeem his people, redeem the people and rescue the people of God, their minds immediately went to the, the, the passages and the scriptures that we go to during the Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, the government shall be on his shoulder, he shall be called Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. And they're thinking, finally, the Messiah has come to free us to release us from Roman oppression and and to make the nation of Israel great again, make Israel great again, right? Except that wasn't God's plan, far from it. His work wasn't to come and redeem politically or nationally. God's plan was much bigger. That's why you can never minimize the move of God because on this side of heaven, sometimes we don't see the full breadth the full work of God in our lives. God was doing something much larger than just national reform. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says these words, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Now, don't confuse law for government. Paul's uh, rhetoric as he ref- relates to law is, is the Old Testament Jewish Torah. That, that these, are, these are a set of rules and regulations that the Jewish people lived by. Right? And so what Paul, what Paul was saying is, listen, in verse 5, he goes on, he says, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so remember how I said the Christian faith is about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship to those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is relationship language. And he goes on, because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, the work of redemption, church, wasn't a political kind of redemption. It wasn't, if it were, Paul would have said, God sent his son to redeem those who were under Roman oppression and so that they might become, the nation of Israel might become a powerful nation to be reckoned with. He doesn't say that. Because the work of redemption wasn't a political work. The kind of redemption that Christ came to bring through his birth was a spiritual redemption. Something that you and I, every single one of us, are desperately in need of. That spiritually we might be rescued. That spiritually we might be free. That spiritually we might be liberated. It's almost as if Jesus came to say, listen, I didn't didn't come here to rescue you from the power of Rome. I came to rescue you from something far more powerful, the power of sin in your life. I've come to rescue you from the deep brokenness that is inside of every single one of you. 
I've come to take the fragments of your broken life and pieces and piece it all together and mend it all together. I've come to redeem you and rescue you. I've come to free you from a life ridden with sin, which leads us to our next defining moment. The next defining moment in Jesus' life is the death of Jesus. We see in the birth of Jesus that God was redeeming. And so what was God up to in the next defining moment of Christ's life, in the death of Jesus? One might say that God was reconciling, that God was reconciling. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that is the the cross, the shedding of his blood that some of us have celebrated just a few days ago on Good Friday, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And that's what we're celebrating here this morning. More than that, we, have, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I have a love-hate relationship with this word reconciliation. If you're human and you've ever tried reconciling any difference with anybody, you know how hard this can be. I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder, have you ever had a falling out with somebody? Right, like some of you, you you know, like you got a long history of burned bridges, and for some of us, we got a smaller track record, whatever it might be. But but we have all burned some bridges, right? We have all had relationships that have gone sideways for one reason or another. And I'm not here to make anyone feel uncomfortable or awkward or anything like that. But let's just real talk here. We've all had relationships that have gotten severed or broken in some way, shape, or form, right? Well, why does that happen? It usually happens because somewhere in the midst of that relationship, an offense was occurred. An offense was incurred by, by one party, and, and, and that became, whether intentionally or, or unintentionally, I'm not here to debate that, an offense came into that relationship that began to cause the breakdown of that particular relationship. And because of that offense, because of that moment, and listen, even if you track back, just, just take one relationship that went a little sour, went a little south, go back to where things started going south. It was because some kind of offense entered into that relationship into that union. And because of that, all of a sudden, this person that you were one with, this person that you were friendly with, friends with, you're no longer talking to them. You're, 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 you're ignoring them when they come into the room. In fact, you, you, you avoid them at all costs. If they're coming down aisle 12 on Walmart, you know, you're, you're going down aisle nine. You know, you're making sure I'm going to do all that I can to avoid them. You, you unfriend them. You unfollow them on Instagram. You basically cut them out of your life. It's almost as if the new goal of that relationship is to see how much distance you can create between you and that other person. Am I talking to anybody here? Your new goal is to see how much distance you can create between you and that other person. Friends, that's what sin does with our relationship with God. Sin creates this chasm, this gap between us and God. Sin is the offense that has created this distance between us and God. Now, friends, I... This would have to be a whole nother sermon in, in and of itself, but, um, but for the sake of time, let me just say this. For those of you who are like, sin, I don't like hearing about sin, I don't like talking about sin. 
Don't preach to me about sin, Pastor. I'm not here. I, I came to have Easter bunnies and sprinkles and glitter today. Don't, talk, don't be talking to me about sin. Let me just say this. Again, sin from a biblical perspective, from a Christian worldview, sin is not just something that we do. Sin is not just boiled down to our actions. Sin is part of the human condition. Sin is part of who we are. We are hopelessly flawed. We are hopelessly broken. We are hopelessly dysfunctional. We are hopelessly imperfect. If there's anyone in this room who says, no, Dan, no, Pat, I am perfect. I dare you to stand up. None of us are perfect. That is the effect of sin. Now, listen, you might be trying your best to live morally and, and, and live right and do good things, random acts of kindness and all those things, but that's not enough to absolve you from your condition. We need to help outside of ourselves. We need help from something much larger than ourselves. And so sin is this offense that is deeply ingrained into human nature, and that's why Paul tells us that we have all not, not some by exception. We have all, without exception, have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, sin has created this chasm between us and God that cannot be bridged simply by doing good works, good deeds, and doing our best to live morally. It ain't going to fix it. And in fact, for those, uh, we hear stories of people who have tried their best to live morally, do good, and in the end, they come up empty and they come up dry. They say, what is going on? Why do I still feel like there's this huge chasm between me and the universe? It's a sin issue. Your good deeds and your good efforts and living morally does not measure up. Because God is so holy, because God is so righteous, there's no amount of our human efforts that can bridge that distance between us and God. And so what's the solution? Are we screwed? Pretty much. But God doesn't leave us solutionless. What God does, through the cross of Jesus and through the death of Jesus, God closes in the gap for us. He says, you can't do it. You can't do it. No human on this earth can do it. Only a perfect spotless lamb, perfect spotless sacrifice can bridge that gap for you. And so God, out of his infinite love and mercy for us, chose to be the bridge so that we can be reconciled to him. God says there is no offense too large. There is no offense too massive, too deep that's going to keep me away from you. I don't want you to avoid me. I don't want you to be going. Listen, if you're going to be coming down aisle 12 of Walmart, you better believe I'm going to meet you at aisle 12 in Walmart. I'm coming right towards you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your shame and guilt of all the things that you're trying to hide from me. I'm coming to take that from you. That's what the cross of Jesus did for us. So that our lives might not be marked by guilt and shame and sorrow and despair. But the death of Jesus said, I came to take all of that upon myself. He came to reconcile us. And he says, I am pursuing you, sons and daughters of the living God. I am pursuing you with an everlasting love. That's what the cross of Jesus represented. By the way, let me just say this. You reconcile relationships with the ones you love. People that you don't love I, don't, I rarely see people going out of their ways to, to reconcile those relationships. You reconcile relationships with the ones you love. In other words, love fuels the work of reconciliation. 
Love is what fuels the work of reconciliation. Love is what drove Jesus to the cross. Love is what killed Jesus. It wasn't Roman soldiers. It wasn't any, love is what drove Jesus to the cross. God was reconciling through the death of Jesus. Now, in the last few moments that we have, let's quickly look at the last defining moment of Jesus' life, the resurrection of Jesus. We looked at the birth of Jesus, and we saw that God was redeeming. We looked at the, the, the death of Jesus, and we saw that God was reconciling. And so what was God up to in the resurrection of Jesus? And here it is. God was revealing. God was revealing. But the question is, what was he revealing? What he was revealing was the truth and the validity of all that God was doing leading up till this point. What God was doing was because Jesus rose from the dead, we, we can know that God was indeed redeeming his people. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can know that God was indeed reconciling his people to himself. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that these moments in Jesus' life are truly defining moments. With, listen, without the resurrection, these moments would not be defining moments. They would simply be interesting moments. That's all they would be. The birth of Jesus, take for, uh, for example, without the resurrection, the birth of Jesus would have been nothing more than a miraculous birth, a medical phenomenon. It would have gone down to medical history for sure during that time, but at the end of the day, it would have no bearing on you and me sitting here in Alumni Hall in 2018. It would have no bearing. I mean, what, what medical history that you know that has gone down in the books has any significant bearing on your life besides maybe it happening to you or your family member? What, what medical history, uh, what, what medical phenomenon, miracle has any bearing on your life today? It doesn't. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of Jesus would have meant nothing. It would have just been, wow, amazing story. And that's all that it would have been. Without the resurrection, the death of Jesus would have simply been a tragic event in history. And that's all. An innocent man is crucified. That's what the headlines would have read the next morning. And guess what? Soon after that, people would have forgotten. Soon after that, life would have went on. Soon after that, life would have remained just the same. Without the resurrection, the death of Jesus would have just simply been a tragic event in history. Without the resurrection, these moments would not be defining moments. They would simply be huh, interesting moments. It would have no bearing on our lives. But listen now, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, we can know that there was something much bigger and larger going on behind these stories. Because of the resurrection, we can know that these weren't just interesting moments. These weren't just miraculous moments that occurred in the, in the fabric of history. Because of the resurrection, we can know that there was a larger story being woven throughout the course of history that impacts us here today. Because of the resurrection, we can know that God was truly active in all of these defining moments in Christ's life. That God was actually up to something. He was redeeming. He was reconciling. But you want to know the real kicker? Here's the real, here, here's the real like meat of this. What the resurrection reveals more than anything is that God not only was, but he is. That God not only was redeeming, 
but he is still redeeming. Because of the resurrection, we can know that God not only was reconciling humanity to himself, but God is still reconciling humanity to himself. Because Jesus is alive, we can know that God is still active today. Can someone say amen to that? God is still active. Because Jesus is alive, we know that God is still moving about here today. Friends, hear me. God is still redeeming and rescuing his people today. God is still rescuing us today. God redeems us and rescues us from the bondage of our sin. God liberates us from our addictions. He frees us from our depression and our deep anxiety and our fears that cripple us. He frees us from all that. He breaks the chains of sorrow and despair. He is still redeeming his people today. God is still reconciling his people today. God, we can know because of the resurrection, he still comes to us and pursues us with an everlasting love. He says, I don't care what kind of sin you have in your life. I don't care how broken you think your life actually is. I am still going to pursue you with an everlasting love. And I am not ever, ever, ever going to stop chasing after you. I'm not. Listen, that would be very, that, that would be antithetical to the very nature of God, of who God is. God is a God who pursues after the ones he loves. God pursues us. And so here's, here's the, maybe, maybe the unfortunate news or good news, depending on how you look at it. For those of you who have been running from God, know that God's not giving up on you. I don't know why you might be running away from God or why you might be running from God. But the nature of God is he is a pursuing God. He will pursue you with his love until his love breaks in and until his love grows deep roots in your life. And so maybe today you say, I'm done running. I'm going to let God catch up to me. I'm going to let God meet me at aisle 12. I don't know why I keep using aisle 12. I just, I just, it just it's stuck in my mind. Aisle 12 of Walmart. Like I, it's just, I don't even know if there's an aisle 12 in Walmart. But, but God is going to meet you there where you are. He's not going to give up on you. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the no, no other Christian, no other message aside from the Christian message says there is a God who comes to us, who pursues us with this everlasting love. God is still reconciling us to himself. God was and is. See, that's why the resurrection is so important to understand. Because it reveals to us the activity of God, not just in biblical history, but it reveals what God is doing in your lives today. By the way, just a great question to ask yourself occasionally. What is God doing in this season of my life? Just a good soul check question. Every now and then, you need to ask yourself the question. And if you don't, if you don't ask the question, you've got to find people who will be bold enough to ask that. What is God doing in your life? Because number one, God is always active. And number two, it's on us to be aware of where God is moving. And so it helps to ask that question every now. Where is, where is God active? Where is he moving? Because Jesus is alive, you and I can be assured that God is still moving today in our lives. Amen? God is still moving and he's active. 